0: Welcome to Set Free 24-7, my name is Robert. I am so glad that you're here today. We are going through the Life Recovery Workbook. And this workbook is about transformation, from death to life, from addiction to recovery. It's about walking humbly, righteously, and mercifully with God while accepting and doing His will. In our compulsions and addictions, we've opposed God's will by hurting ourselves, our bodies, and our loved ones. We've been separated from God and from other people. The 12 steps are a path to finding that humble walk that leads us out of self-centeredness and closer to God's heart. We're gonna be examining the 12 steps individually to consider the challenging spiritual lessons that allow us to live free of bondage every day. And each step will have a new task for us, but none of the steps is meant to stand alone. For successful recovery, they are meant to be worked in order. Each step prepares us for the next one as we develop greater humility and openness to God. Although the path of recovery involves hard and sometimes painful work, it's worth the effort. God will meet us on this path as we become willing to take each step toward a new life. As we apply ourselves, we lose our old coping mechanism of excessive consumption and experience spiritual growth. Honesty, humility, and courage are the components of the vital faith that can allow us to face any circumstance, difficulty, or feeling with grace and strength. Please remember that working these steps is an art, not a formula. Most often, it's really an individualized process. So God be with you on this journey. We pray that you will find healing, serenity, and peace of mind join us as we begin step number one. Hey guys, here we are. Step number one. I have done the 12 steps a few times. A little bit about me. I am 13 years sober right now. Meth, cocaine, crack. I mean, I've done it all and all of the bad behaviors that go along with it did five years in prison got released in 2015 and now i just have a passion to help people that are trying to get their life together encourage them along the way be there as a person that just doesn't judge them but just meets you right where you're at just to give you a little bit of encouragement so a few months ago i saw this ad on the internet for a life recovery bible and i've seen some of these floating around And they even had a life recovery workbook. I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a look at this because I've done some other Christian AA type things uh, with Celebrate Recovery. I've done AA. I've done NA. All of those things are great. So I just wanted to see what is their take on this. So this is honestly my first time going through this. And I just wanted to be able to share this journey with someone else that may be going through some of the same things. So I am starting out here in the Life Recovery Workbook. Each one of these podcasts is going to be focusing on one of the steps that's in there. And I'll be reading through what's in the workbook and then going through some of the questions and stuff afterwards. So here we go. This is going to be step number one here. It starts out, it says, after 17 years of partying and drinking... Barry decided that the only way to handle life was to stay drunk. For the past year, he had kept an iced case of beer in the trunk of his car at all times. He couldn't understand why his wife wanted a divorce, why his kids were distant and angry with him, or why his life was always so chaotic and stressful. He had made repeated attempts to control events, his wife's behavior, his kids, and his job But he always ended up in a crisis after a heated, tumultuous argument that left him feeling bitter. Drinking was the only way for him to de-stress and find composure. One night after Barry had been drinking all afternoon and into the evening, his wife became fed up with his disappearing into the bottle, and she contemptuously announced that she was leaving him though the particulars of the fight were hazy to him barry woke up the next day full of shame and fear his pain loneliness and aggravation became unbearable life with alcohol it just didn't seem worth continuing but he wasn't sure that he was able to live without it his previous attempts to quit had left him restless irritable and disgruntled with a beer in one hand he called Alcoholics Anonymous Hotline, looking for help. They told him that there was hope and recommended that he attend some meetings. When Barry arrived at his first meeting, the chairman asked for the topic to be step one. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. As members shared their experiences, Barry was stunned to identify with most of their stories. He began to recognize his powerlessness over alcohol and that by continually using alcohol to seek relief he had allowed his life to become unmanageable he understood their stories of painful experiences while under the influence and the resulting hopelessness his other amazing discovery was that others in the room were not only sober but they were content recovery seemed like a positive option instead of the drudgery that he had imagined. Barry learned that powerlessness did not mean helplessness and that he could take actions such as attending meetings, having a sponsor, reading recovery literature, and drawing close to God. As he took action on what he was able to do, he could admit his powerlessness over alcohol after he had been sober for a while and worked through the subsequent steps his overall life did improve barry learned that he was powerless over more than just alcohol and that the consequences of his years of drinking were not magically removed the relationship with his wife fell apart because drinking had caused her so much pain that the bond between them had been destroyed his children continued to hold resentments toward him and his relationships with them were compromised. However, to stay sober, Barry had to accept his powerlessness over their responses and had to accept responsibility for his behaviors that had provoked them. The recovery journey begins when we confront the very first word in step one. We. This immediately challenges that loner, isolationist that's inside of us when we are in our addictions and dependent on people and substances. Although we would be more comfortable with the word I and would prefer to get better alone, only we can recover. The 12-step program guides us into community where all are involved, all are a part of each other's recovery the 12 steps are worked and lived in a group independence is deadly for any addict actually spiritual transformation for anyone begins in community when jesus began his ministry he created a group when we look at the church in the book of acts we find groups meeting in homes living in open and honest community appears to be necessary for spiritual growth we have to accept help from others in order to recover from whatever addiction or codependency issues that we have the next words are we admitted we were powerless admitting that something or someone has beaten us and is more powerful than our own will that confronts our pride so we keep on acting out in our dependency and our addiction trying to prove that we can control it by attending meetings and listening to other people's stories we become more open to the possibility of recovery our pride must be shattered a little bit at a time because we will not recover without an admission of powerlessness Our very human nature rebels at the idea of powerlessness which signifies our inability to escape our life of dependency and addiction on our own strength. We must let go of image seeking and pride and tell the truth about our demoralized condition. Step one contains a potent paradox. By telling the truth about our complete powerlessness over addiction, we receive the power of choice in return. To jump into recovery waters with both feet, we must go even deeper. Not only must we admit and accept our powerlessness over our dependencies and addiction, but we must also concede that our lives are unmanageable. This strikes a second blow to our pride and our self-sufficiency. When under the influence of addictive thinking, a person believes I can handle anything. I can fix this by myself without anyone else having to be involved. We have wanted others to believe that we have it all together and we are self-contained. We continue in this delusion that there should be something that we can do on our own, especially to clean up our own lives and our own mess that we made. However, addiction leads us to inefficiency on our jobs, dissatisfaction in our relationships, and quite often to a sense that life is just not worth living. Our emotional pain underscores the reality of our inability to manage our lives. Our loner, pull myself up by the bootstraps mentality, must give way to joining the we of recovery. We have to be rid of the just Jesus and me belief system that leads to more isolation and more shame. When we realize that even God is in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we become aware of the fact that human beings were created to be connected to others. The rebel within us must now get off the throne long enough to accept the need for help from both God and others. Then, we will find that God is willing to meet us in our unmanageable lives. The meditations for step one include some examples from scripture of people that are struggling with powerlessness. Naaman, he had a position and power in the military that blinded him to his powerlessness. The reference here is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1-15. through 15. He began to demand things from life, thinking that he was special because of his position. We may do this as well, both at work and at home. We may have an inflated sense of importance because of our ministry. We may demand things from our families or our co-workers based on our way. Like Naaman, we will find that this type of pride that resists input and direction from others leads to isolation. Only God can deal with this rebellion in our hearts. The consequences of addiction are sometimes the only way by which God can break through to us. Sometimes we arrive at the powerlessness and unmanageability by losing everything, as Job did. Being in recovery and trying to walk a spiritual path does not mean that we will be spared our share of snags and obstacles in life. In these times, recovery can appear to be hopeless and not worth the work. The rebel in us that wants control will say to us, This is just too hard. Your troubles must mean that God doesn't like you. And at this point, we need a group of people to continue pointing us to God no matter what happens. We need people in our life who will nurture hope even in the most difficult places. As we hit bottom and face our powerlessness over all of life, we need encouragers. We need to be reminded of Jesus saying that if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Luke chapter 9 verse 24. This is just another way of describing powerlessness. By exploring our powerlessness, we will have to confront and oppose negative ideas that tell us that being powerless means being a victim. By coming to the end of our own power, we develop enough humility to hear the voice of God and do His will. The Apostle Paul, before his conversion and transformation, when he was still known as Saul could not explore powerlessness at all. He was intoxicated by the power that he could wield, even if it placed him in opposition to God's plan for his life. Yet, God pursued Saul, despite his power-hungry, murderous state of mind, to call him to a new direction, a totally transformed purpose, so that he could stop persecuting the gospel and start preaching it. God made him totally blind and dependent on others to lead him, to feed him, and to shelter him. He had to accept powerlessness and unmanageability in order to be used by God in some powerful and amazing ways. We must also first accept our powerlessness and inability to manage before we can be freed from addiction and become a channel for God in ways that we could never imagine. We are so schooled in the thought that we can do anything we put our minds to that it's almost impossible to envision the power of God in us doing what we have not been able to do to this point. God in us, shining through human vessels, gives us the ability to recover, to accept powerlessness, and to accept unmanageability. We are then open to a life powered by God rather than by our dependencies, our addictions, or our fallible selves. When God's power lives in us, we can be pressed by troubles, perplexed by life, and haunted by our addictions or dependencies, and at the same time experience peace in trouble, hope in those perplexing situations, and a lifting of the compulsion to act out. When we admit our powerlessness, God's power flows in to fill us and to accomplish what we could never do on our own. All right, this next section here will be the questions that we're going to go through for each of the 12 steps. So this will be for step number one. I'm going to have all of the questions written in the description of this video. So please feel free to look at that, copy it, pull it over to a Word doc, and go through some of these on your own. This would be a really good opportunity for you to start unpacking some things that may be in your life i'm going to be doing this as well and i'll be reading the scripture references for each of these sections so this first section is titled no win situations and the chapter and verse here is genesis chapter 16 verses 1 through 15 and i am going to be reading out of the life recovery bible so this is the exact bible that comes with this workbook and uh, we'll go from there so So, chapter 16 here of Genesis, verses 1 through 15. This is titled, The Birth of Ishmael. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So, Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed to Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, "'This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me.'" Abram replied, "'Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit.'" Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness Along the road to Shur, the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress, and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Laha Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now, for the questions that are involved with that section of Scripture, what feelings do you experience as you acknowledge people in your life who have power? This can be like supervisors, spouses, religious leaders, maybe sponsors. So, what feelings do you experience as you acknowledge people in your life who have power? What do you try to escape from? what do you feel trapped by what things are you trying to escape from and what do you feel trapped by how do you escape your feelings such as anger or boredom maybe fatigue how do you escape loneliness what kind of things are you doing To escape your feelings of anger boredom fatigue or loneliness when things don't go your way or when you're in a no-win situation what is your reaction this can be with relationships maybe work related promotions kids who constantly question you or Are rebellious maybe traffic those crazy drivers in front of you maybe people talking on cell phones in public places I know finances are tight for some people right now how about financial difficulties how about people who hurt or disappoint you what is your reaction when things don't go your way in these situations what about when God seems distant what's your reaction if you could how could you change your response so if you could how would you change your response when things are not going your way Okay, this next section is dangerous self-deception and the scripture reading for it is Judges chapter 16, verses 1 through 31. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night saying to themselves, When the light of morning comes, we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from the Hebron. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that would not have yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped those bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it's burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please just tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with brand new ropes that have never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them. The men were again hiding in the inner room, just as before. And as Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson just snapped those ropes from his arms as if they were thread. Then Delilah said, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, If you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and then tighten it with the loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. So while he slept, Delilah wove the seven braids of his hair into the fabric. Then she tightened it with the loom shuttle, and again she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson woke up, pulled the loom shuttle back, and yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me that I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head on her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as I've done before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize. That the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with the bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god Dagon. They said, Our god has given us victory over our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, Bring out Samson so that he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand in between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, "'Place my hands against these pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them.'" Now the temple was completely filled with people. All of the Philistine rulers were there, and there were around 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, "'Sovereign Lord!' "'Remember me again, O God. "'Please strengthen me just one more time. "'With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines "'for the loss of my two eyes.' "'And then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars "'that held up the temple. "'Pushing against them with both hands, "'he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. "'And the temple crashed down over the Philistine rulers "'and all of the people.' So, he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and they buried him between Zorah and Eshtael, where his father, Manoah, was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. The questions that go along with this section are what is the longest time that you've been able to stop your addictive behaviors or using addictive substances so what is the longest time that you've been able to stop those behaviors or maybe just the using of the substances what are some of the reasons that you use to start your behaviors or the substance abuse again so what are some of those excuses that you tell yourself some of those reasons that you have what are the things in your life that you think you can control how is it that you lie to yourself and what about what is it that you lie to yourself about What is so scary about telling the truth? What is so scary about telling the truth? As you explore powerlessness, what blind spots have you discovered? So, as you start to think about powerlessness, admitting that you're powerless over something, what blind spots in your life have started to come forward? And lastly, what are the results of pride in your life? What are the results of pride? This next section is titled A Humble Beginning and the chapter and verse will be 2 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 15. So that's 2nd Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king of what the young girl from Israel had said, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. I mean, this letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent him a message saying, Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman He became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar, sorry if I'm butchering this here, better than any of these rivers here in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find that man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. So the questions that go along with this section are, What is the difference between humiliation and humility? in your life what is the difference between humiliation and humility in your life how do you regard yourself as being a little bit more important than other people how do you regard yourself as being a little bit more important than others what makes you think that you're in control of anything what makes you think that you're in control of anything how do you try to influence or control god or how about this other one here how do you try to influence or control god's representatives So, how do you try to influence or control God or his representatives? When have you placed expectations on other people? Or better yet, when have you placed expectations on God? So when have you placed expectations? When have your attitude shown that you believe that you know better than God? Have you ever had an attitude that, like, hey, I know my life better than you do, I know what I need, here's how you need to fix me? Why is it difficult for you to follow someone else's instructions? So, why is it difficult to follow someone else's instructions? All right, this next section here is Job chapter 6, verses 2 through 13, and it's titled Hope Amidst Suffering. If my misery could be weighed and my troubles could be put on the scales, They would outweigh all of the sands of the sea. That is why I spoke impulsively, for the Almighty has struck me down with His arrows. Their poison infects my spirit. God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have a right to complain? Don't wild donkeys bray when they find no grass? and oxen bellow when they have no food? Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag at the thought of eating it. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant my desire. I wish that he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. But I don't have the strength to endure I have nothing to live for do I have the strength of a stone is my body made of bronze no I am utterly helpless without any chance of success very powerful stuff there from job the questions that go along with this section what kind of people do you hang around with and trust people that are critical and criticize you or people who encourage truth so what kind of people do you hang around with and trust people who criticize or people who encourage truth what emotions can you identify when you are at the bottom have you been at the bottom Are you there now? What emotions can you identify when you're at the bottom? What have you done in the past to deal with the pain or sadness? So what have you done in the past to deal with that pain or sadness? This next section is titled, Like Little Children. The verse and chapter is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, Let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them the questions for this section are what happened in the past that still provokes fear in you today so what happened in the past i know sometimes those things that have happened in the past can be the hardest to start to dig up i get it what has happened in the past that still provokes fear inside of you today It's time to start uncovering some of those things. Nothing changes if we don't change anything. When do you feel most cared for? So think about a time when you feel loved, protected, cared for, when do you feel the most cared for? What do you see in your life that reveals God's care for you? So what do you see in your life that reveals God's care for you? All right, this next section is titled A Time to Choose. The chapter and verse is Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. Again, that's Acts 9, verses 1 through 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off of the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. The questions in this section are, when you continue to pursue your own agenda without asking God for direction, what happens in your life? When you continue to pursue your own agenda without asking God for direction, what starts to happen? Are there areas of your life in which God may have to use extreme measures before you listen for direction? What areas are those? Are there areas in your life which God may have to use extreme measures? For me, it was sobriety and going to prison. That was an extreme measure, but I believe God allowed that in my life to separate me from that long enough to get my head on straight so I hope none of you have to experience that but are there areas in your life in which God has had to use extreme measures before you're going to start listening for direction what will it take for you to listen to God what's it going to take and here we are. This is the last section here. This is titled the paradox of powerlessness and the reading verse and chapter is 2 Corinthians chapter four verses seven through 10. All right. And this says here, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven into despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies so the questions that go along with this next section here to begin with think about examples when you have demonstrated acceptance of your own powerlessness and then recognized God's powerfulness so think about some examples right now where you have demonstrated that acceptance Of powerlessness and maybe it's something as simple as just simply listening to this podcast it's a step in the right direction maybe it's admitting maybe I should get a little help with something how do you respond to trouble when you have trouble in your life what is your knee-jerk reaction how do you respond to trouble How do you respond to being perplexed? So think about something that may just stump you. What's the process that you go through when something perplexes you? What do you do when it seems that God or someone else has abandoned you? You feel like you're in this boat all alone The weather's a little crazy and you're being knocked around. When you feel abandoned out in the middle of that ocean, what do you do when it seems that God has abandoned you? Or maybe this is a friend or family member. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a grandchild. So what do you do when you experience those feelings of abandonment? And friends, that is step number one. Nothing's going to change overnight, but I can guarantee you if you've made it this far, if you have found this podcast and you said, you know what? I want to see what this is all about. What is this recovery stuff? What is it built on? Maybe you've done the 12 steps maybe you've done aana maybe you've done celebrate recovery i've done all those things too i just happened to come across this life recovery bible and the uh, life recovery workbook here and i thought you know what it's never a bad time to put more tools in my tool belt so i encourage you if you're just listening to this for the first time maybe our paths have crossed and i mentioned it to you and now you're checking it out If you're on that journey of sobriety and you're trying to get some stuff figured out in life, I don't care where you're at on the journey, if it's one day, a thousand days, 10 years, 50 years, you can always put some tools in that tool belt. Maybe the tools that are in your tool belt are a little rusty and you need to sharpen them. I know it's always good to make sure you do some tool maintenance. So friends, that's all I have for today. I'm gonna have my contact information inside of the description of this. If you need to reach out to somebody or talk to somebody about going through some of these 12 steps, I would be happy to have a conversation with you. So don't hesitate to reach out. We are not meant to do this journey alone. I can guarantee you one of the secrets to my success that I will happily tell everybody is that when I got out of prison in 2015, one of the things that I changed was connecting with people in a real manner, like really, really doing community with people, being transparent, being accountable to some people. And that's what began to change things for me in my life. So I don't think I have it all figured out, but I do know I'm here 13 years later and I still haven't put a needle in my arm or a smoked crack or any of those other crazy things that I was doing. And I'll get into some more of that as we go along. But for now, at this point in the journey, it's enough to just admit that you're powerless over something and that you want to do something to change that. So I encourage you for being here today. Thanks for sharing just a little bit of your day with me. And again, if you need to reach out for anything, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Be blessed and be a blessing wherever you're at. Have a great day.